Good morning. I wonder, have you ever found yourself lamenting over how bad and difficult the world has become? Have you ever just sat there and kind of shake your head as you watch the news, uh, you listen to different reports, and you just think of, wow, what a society we, we live in, how evil things are. How could things have ever gotten as bad as, as they have become? And then we wonder, what is the solution to it? What can be done about it? What is the answer to the evil that we face in this world today? How could we at least arrest it, stop its spread, and perhaps even turn things around? What can be done? That's kind of a universal desire, and many answers are put forth. But uh, this morning, we want to look at what the scripture has to say about this particular issue. There are two great dangers in life. The first is to overestimate one's importance, one's value. To have too high, too exalted a, an appraisal of our abilities, our talents, our effectiveness. To let pride get in the way, and to see ourselves as more important than what we really are. The second danger is equally important, and it is the exact opposite. And that is to think of ourselves less than we ought. To feel like we can't make any difference when in fact we can make a huge difference in the world in which we live. Thinking that we have no impact when we can have a great deal of impact. We find in our text that the people of God have a great and somber responsibility in this world. And that responsibility is characterized in our text as being salt and light. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the world. Excuse me, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, with what shall it be salted again? It is therefore good for nothing and is to be cast out. It's worthless. It's to be cast out and to be trodden under the feet of men. Christians are what this cruel, miserable, and dark world needs in order to be less cruel and less miserable. Today we're going to consider the corporate witness and impact of the people of God. We need to accept and appreciate our role in this world as salt and light. Having worked through this text, and having far too much material, I decided I'm actually going to divide this into two messages, one on salt and one on light. And today we're going to look at salt, next week, Lord willing, look at light. But the people of God are the salt of the earth. So what does that mean when it says that we are the salt of the earth? 
Well, first of all, it means individually and collectively, the people of God are the salt. Jesus is addressing his disciples. And he says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And when he says you, the you is in the plural. He's addressing all of his disciples. This is on the uh, course uh, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's addressing all of his disciples. What Jesus is about to say to them is true of them as individuals and corporately. So individuals, we as individuals, you and I, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, are salt in this earth. And then collectively, as God's people, as a church, we are the salt of the earth. We have an individual witness and we have a collective witness. We have an individual witness where people know and come in contact with you and with me. And you and I affect different people. We influence different people. We go to work with different people. We share meals with different people. We have different neighbors. Individually, we have a witness. And then collectively, corporately, we have a witness. The Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church. And people will know in our community, the Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church. They may not know all of us individually, but they know us collectively, the church at Lebanon. What does it stand for? What does it do? What is it about? And so this morning, we want to look at both things, the individual aspect of being salt in this earth, and collectively, as a people of God, being salt in this earth. So what are we to understand by this expression, that we are the salt? Well, what we are to understand by the use of this metaphor is that as followers of Christ, we have a relationship to this earth, which is described as being salt. So first, we need to understand that salt was a very important commodity in the ancient world. Salt was so much more important back then than it is today that it may lose its impact for us. Salt was absolutely necessary. It was a cherished commodity. People went to war over salt. Now that seems kind of far-fetched to us. We can't imagine today people going to war over salt. But can you imagine people going to war over oil? A precious commodity. In our culture, something that we desperately need. Oil to turn into heat, into gas. And and so, yes, wars are fought over oil. Because it's a precious and important commodity. In the New Testament era, wars were fought over salt. Because it it was a precious an important commodity. Salt was so important that oftentimes Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt, which forms the basis for our world, for our word salary. 
According to westegg.com, a website that deals with etymology of words, it has this to say about salary. In the early days of Rome, its soldiers were given a handful of salt each day. The salt ration was subsequently replaced by a sum of money allowing each man to buy his own salt and relieving the commissariat of the trouble of transporting it. The money received was referred to as their salt money, Latin salarium, from which we get the word salary. Salary. Think of your salary as salt money. The opportunity to buy salt. So why was salt so precious in that particular era? Well, it had two important functions. The first was it was used to add flavor to foods, even as we use salt today to add flavor to foods. But the second, and the reason wars were fought over it, was because of its unique quality to be a preservative, to be a preservative. The Holman New Testament commentary on the book of Matthew says this, in the centuries before modern refrigeration, salt was the method of choice for preventing bacteria from poisoning food. Salt was so vital for this purpose that wars were fought over salt and entire economies were based on it. Salt could literally make the difference between life and death in a time when fresh food was unavailable. Salt was used as a preservative of food, keeping food from rotting and decaying. In short, keeping food from going bad, if you will. We are to be that agent in this world acting as salt, preserving the society around us, keeping it from decay, keeping it from rot, keeping it from destruction, from ruin. What is the answer to the evil of this world? The answer is us. We are to be deterrents of the evil of this world through our influence, through our actions, by our very presence in it. We need to understand the dreadful condition of the world in which we live. It needs to be salted. And without our intervention, things are going to continue to digress. Things are going to continue to get worse. Ephesians 5 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We live in evil days. I don't think I need to rehearse all the statistics for you to know that we live in a dark, sin-sick, evil world. All kinds of malfeasance going on, all kinds of immorality, all kinds of inappropriate behaviors, all kinds of abuse and people taking advantage of one another. There is a great need for preservation and renewal of our society. 
We need to understand that the agency through which God is going to work with this sin-sick world is the church, the people of God, individually and collectively. He says, you are the salt of the earth. We are the ones who restrain evil by our very presence in the world. And we are the ones who promote good by our presence in the world. And I keep saying presence because it is our presence in the world which is the key. Our presence in the world is the key. Uh, Alexander McLaren, in his exposition of the Holy Scriptures, says this. Salt does its work by being brought into close contact with the substance upon which it is to work. And so we, brought into contact as we are with much evil and wickedness by many common relationships of friendship, of kindred, of business, of proximity, of citizenship, and the like. You see, assault is useless in a salt shaker. It is not going to preserve meat unless it is deeply embedded in that meat. It can't be separate from it. It has to be a part of it. It has to be included in it. And that is why Jesus said, I pray that you would not take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil of the world. The answer is not by our becoming recluses, by our establishing monasteries, by our putting up walls to keep this evil world out. The answer is for us to go out into this evil world and make a difference. To be the salt in this world. To be the salt where we see the decay, where we see the ruin, where we see the destruction. Jesus said, go ye into all the world. He didn't say, wait for the world to come to you. He didn't say, withdraw from the world and its evil. But he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we need to understand that salt has to be embedded into our society. And it is really that primary reason that caused me to make a distinction between salt and light. Because the the two ideas have much in common. It's all about our influence upon the world. And our influence is twofold. We are the salt and we are the light. But the metaphors are quite different. So you see, because light is very observable. In fact, light cannot be hidden. Because the next verse says, you are the light of the world. And a city cannot be set upon a hill in obscurity. As Christians, we shed our light, and it's talking about our our public influence. It is talking about our active engagement in professing truth, etc., etc. I'll go in much greater detail. But the idea is it's very observable. Salt, on the other hand, is imperceivable in the way in which it works. Uh, We're not even aware 
of salt's activity. And so it is, even in our society, that many times we are even unaware of how our own presence can make a difference in society. Uh, How often it is. You know, have have you ever been at work, maybe you have a a lunchroom or something, and uh, you work with uh, some un... uh, You work some non-believers, and and you walk into a situation, and someone's telling a, a dirty joke. The very fact that you are present, do they stop telling that joke? Do people change their behaviors when they're around you? I know just a little while ago I was with someone who hurt themselves, a non-believer, and he took the Lord's name in vain. And he swore. He looked at me and he said, sorry, Reverend. I said, you haven't offended me, you've offended God. Our presence can make a difference. In even little, almost imperceivable ways. But the presence of the church can make a vast, vast difference. The grave danger is that you and I as individuals, and yes, the church collectively, can lose its distinctive nature and influence on others. Notice verse 5.13. You are the salt of the earth. And now these words, but the salt has become tasteless. If the salt has become tasteless, if the salt is no longer salty, if it no longer is that preserving influence in society, we have come into an era in which the church is exercising less and less influence in our culture. Many people have referred to the period of time in which we live as a post-Christian era in America. A post-Christian era. Philip Ryken, in his book entitled City on a Hill, Reclaiming the Biblical Pattern for the Church in the 21st Century, says this. I think it's a good definition of what is meant by a post-Christian era. We are living in a post-Christian era when Christianity no longer exercises a prevailing influence on the mind and heart of our culture. That's a good definition. Where Christianity no longer exercises a prevailing, winning influence upon the heart and mind of our culture. He goes on to say this, and I quote, There was a time when the Bible held a central place in the curriculum of our public schools, and when our leading universities cultivated the Christian mind. There was a time when average Americans knew their Bibles well enough that biblical teaching had a strong influence on what people thought 
and how they behaved. In short, there was a time when Christianity shaped the social, political, moral, religious, and intellectual landscape of these United States. Do you understand that? There was a time. There was a time in which there was the Bible in the public schools. I can remember that time. As an elementary school student, I remember in a public school, each day we opened with morning exercises in which we would read from the scriptures and pray. I remember those days. And we lament the days in which the Bible has been taken out of the schools. But I tell you, there's something that is much worse. We need to lament the day that the Bible's been taken out of the, out of the, script, out of the church. Where the Bible's no longer being preached from pulpits. And has been replaced with news articles and, and current events and dramatic representations of society and culture. There was a time in which everyone knew their Bible. Today, in Christianity, listen to this, what I think is a horrible statistic. That is, less than 10% of Christians have ever read their Bible through once. I encourage you to read the Bible through every year. Less than 10% of Christians have ever read their Bible through, period. Less than 10%. 10 less than 10. Eight, maybe, out of 100. Christians have read their Bible through. Is it any wonder that our society has no place for the Scriptures? We are losing our saltiness. One reason the church is not salt in this world is because the church is more influenced by the world than the world is influenced by the church. The church is adopting principles and lifestyles of the world rather than the world adopting principles and lifestyles of the church. The church is in sad shape today. The statistics are dreadful. Josh McDowell, in his book entitled The Last Christian Generation, provides us with statistics regarding youth, teenagers in America. And the conclusion is that there is, listen to this, no moral difference in the way that teens who are professing believers conduct themselves from the way in which non-believers Teens conduct themselves. A series of polls were done in which both believing teenagers and non-believing teenagers were polled to the same questions. Question, have you ever lied to your parents in the last 12 months? 93% of non-Christians said they had lied to their parents in the last 12 months. 93% of non-Christians. 
93% of Christian teens professing faith in Jesus Christ said they lied to their teachers in the past 12 years. Have you cheated on a test in the last, excuse me, did I say 12 years, 12 months, last 12 months? Question, have you cheated on a test in the last 12 months? 76% of non-Christians said they had cheated on a test in the last 12 months. 74% of teenagers who professed faith in Christ said they had cheated on a test in the last 12 months. Lest we think that our teenagers are going to pot and what is wrong with our youth today, according to George Barna, who did a study of divorce in America in 2008, discovered that virtually there was no statistical difference between people who professed to be born again and those who did not in their divorce rates. 33% of those who were not born again had been divorced. 32% of those who are said to be born again are divorced. No statistical difference. Do you understand how not only appalling that is, but how dreadful that is. For we are not going to be able to impact a society when we have lost our saltiness, when we are no different than the world around us. How can we impact it for good? It can't just be our speech. It's got to be our actions which is the next section. Glorify, therefore, God, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I didn't even open my, my Bible because I have it all in front of me here this morning, but in Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, let me find it fast since I've said it now. Um, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's our good works that are going to be the salt and the light of this, this world. There is no other entity than, that can take up the role that the church fulfills. In verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, then it asks this question, how will it be made salty again? If salt loses its saltiness, how is it restored? And the answer is, it can't be. There is nothing else. There is no other solution. There is no other answer. There is no other entity that can reform the world other than the people of God. There is no entity, there's no institution, there's no governmental agency, there is nothing that can replace the role of the Christian 
and the church in the world. If we don't get it done, it's not getting done. If we don't achieve the change, it is not going to get to uh, make a difference. So one might think then, well then all is hopeless if things are really as bad as I'm describing them to be. What then is the solution? Well, in being the salt of the earth, where I actually think we need to begin today is with the church. We need to be salt in the church. We need to be influential among Christians. And we need to be influential among the churches. The church had gotten into such a state of affairs by the 16th century that virtually the gospel had been lost. And an individual rose up, Martin Luther, who took a position and he nailed 95 theses, 95 issues that Martin Luther had with the Catholic Church and nailed them on the door to the church in Wittenberg, saying, we need change. And the Protestant Reformation began. And we have Zwingli. And we have Luther. And we have Calvin. And we have Menno Simons. And we have others bringing about a reformation, a change of the church. In the 1730s, there was the Great Awakening in New England with the preaching of George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. And what a sweeping change came over New England as it started in the church. As people in the church started to be born again and became interested and excited about the things of God. And the moral behavior that changed, of which some of you, can you remember the blue laws? Where did that come from? A Christian heritage. I can remember a time. I can remember a time when there were no college athletics on a Sunday. just to preserve Sunday, just to preserve it as a day of the Lord where people would go to church. We're not going to play basketball on Sunday. How many people have heard or seen the story of the chariots of fire? Eric Lindo, who, as a Christian, wouldn't run in the Olympics. In the Olympics! Can you imagine today somebody standing up and saying, I'm a Christian, I'm not going to run on a Sunday? Can you even fathom that? that somebody would be so concerned that they're willing to forfeit a gold medal over principle of not running on a Sunday. You know, it's hard for us to get our, our minds around. Back to a time I can remember when college athletics wasn't performed on a, on a Sunday. Oddly enough, 
I can remember the first college basketball game played on Sunday. Couldn't remember it well enough to know who played, so I looked it up on the internet. We'll never guess. Syracuse University was the first college team to play on a Sunday. And I said, why you'd never guess? Syracuse University is a Catholic university. And yet they were the first. But it's not about just Sundays. What I'm trying to point out to you is that our culture has, has moved and changed dramatically. And the problem is that we are assimilating more and more of the culture of the world into the church than the church is influencing the world. In fact, we are being told that in order to reach the world, we must be more like it. That is the prevailing influence. That is the prevailing thought in evangelicalism today. You need to be seeker-friendly. You can't turn people off. You need to be like the world. You need to incorporate the world. Bill Hybels. You know, we talk about music and, and music wars in the church. You know, Bill Hybels has said that we can't even use Christian music in the church because it turns people off. So he finds things in the Beatles and in and other groups that say some of the same kind of things that, that he wants to communicate. Because non-believers aren't going to want to sit and sing religious songs. There's something wrong there. We're the salt. We're different. We preserve. But not in artificial ways, in very real ways. We're not talking about driving buggies. We're not talking about not wearing shirt or ties. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about lives of godliness, holiness. We're talking about Ten Commandments. We're talking about actual adherence to the commands and instructions of the Word of God. We're talking about letting God's thoughts be our thoughts, letting God's determination be our determinations. Notice verse 13. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? Now notice this next phrase. Because it's sobering. And it's an absolute statement. It is good for nothing. It's good for nothing. When the people of God cease to be salt, we're good for nothing. It's like a knife that won't cut, a gun that won't shoot. But it's worse than that. Because sometimes when guns won't shoot anymore, people will at least put them on the wall as a decoration. That's pretty much what we've become in our society, a decoration. Sometimes it's nice just to have the church around to kind of look like the good old days. Christmas is a time when people go to church. Not to hear the word of God, not to do, but you know, it's, it's a part of who and what we are. I mentioned before about that high school choir that sang Silent Night but took all the lyrics out that had anything to do with religious reference. 
had the same tune. Bought sediments. That's where the church is today. It is good for nothing. And not only is it good for nothing, but notice what the response will be. Verse 13. Except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot of men. What happens is that there is a progression. When when people lose their saltiness, and when the church loses its saltiness, then it is viewed as good for nothing. And once it is viewed as good for nothing, what do you do with salt when it's lost its saltiness? You throw it out. You discard it. But notice, this is discarded with a disdain in verse 13. Except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot of men. Stomping on it. Kicking it. Pounding on it. Frustrating. Not wanting to do with it. This miserable salt lost its saltiness. Throw it out. Stomp on it. Kick it. What good is it? When we lose our saltiness, we will be viewed as good for nothing. Quote, irrelevant. Irrelevant. We have nothing to say. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to bring to the table. Why would anybody want to uh, consult a Christian? Why would they want their point of view? There was a time in our culture when pastors were the central point of influence in a, in a society. People want to know what, what the pastor had to say. Certainly in Puritanism, it was huge. Today, who cares? Who cares? Why would we consult them? Why would we think about them? Why would we take a Christian point of view into effect? But then it gets worse, people. Because it goes from, moves from being irrelevant to be despised and hated. To be moved to be hypocrites. And people hate hypocrites. People who say one thing and do another. Tonight we're having a meeting. I hate this meeting we're going to have tonight. Because it speaks to the sin, sick, and wicked world in which we live. That we have to have this policy. There are many things about it that bother me on different levels. As a mandatory reporter, issues of trying to help people, bring transformation to lives, all of those things. But you know what bothers me the most? I wasn't even going to say this, but it really does bother me. The Catholic Church has gotten us into this mess. You understand that? And the way in which they've dealt with priests and their conduct? 
We have lost our salt. There was a time in which people trusted the church. And our society doesn't trust the church. And more than that, they're afraid of the church. They're afraid to send their children because they think they're going to be molested. And we have to have a policy to prove to the world that we're not going to molest children and that's not what we're about. And so for that, I welcome it because we need to be a testimony. We need to be an example. We need to be a witness. We need to be salt. But the church is losing it. And so I say to you, let us both individually and corporately commit ourselves to being light and salt, preservative. In our own personal conduct, let us be different than the people around us, not in insignificant and trivial ways, but may we be people of truth. May we be people of honesty. May we be people of integrity. May we be people who are gracious, people who are kind, people who are committed, people who can be trusted, people who are not going to steal, people who are not going to do other people harm, people that are going to be reliable. May we be different. May we be generous in a self-centered, self-seeking community consumeristic world. May we meditate on pure and wholesome things as opposed to unholy. May we delight in good and not in evil. May we take pleasure in and compliment those who are living godly lives as opposed to ridiculing and mocking those who stand up for the things of God. May we be salt in this world. May we not contribute to the evil. May we retard the evil. May we be not only negatively not contributing to the evil of this world, but may we be Next week, the shining light. May we show a way. May we be able to conduct our homes in such a way that people will look at us and say, you know, your marriage is different. Why is your marriage different? Why have you been married so long? Why are you so happy? Why are you so committed to each other? May there be a difference in us. May there be a difference in our church. And people will say, I heard about your church. I know people that go there. I've dealt with the businessmen in your church. They're honest. They don't rip people off. That's the kind of church I'd like to go to. That's the kind of people I'd like to be associated with. May we be a source of inspiration. May we be the kind of people that others admire. 
and look up to and want to be like. May it start in our homes. May our, may our kids, grandkids, want to grow up to be like mom and dad. Like grandma and grandpa. May the kids in our community, after they played with our kids, sat down at our kitchen table, had milk and cookies, say to themselves, I wish, like, I wish my mommy and daddy were like them. I wish my family was like that. I wish that's the kind of house I could grow up in. May other employers look at our employees, envy our businesses, envy our work ethics, envy our lifestyle, all in the best sense of that word, bringing honor and glory to God. For we are the salt. We're the salt. Next time, that you are challenged and looking at this world and lamenting what's happened with our society. Go back and lament what has happened to the church. A great assignment. Two things. Look at the period of the Great Awakening. Look at culture. Look at society. Look what was happening, not only in Christian home, but non-Christians. Just look at the prevailing influence. And then secondly, look at how different the church looked back then from what it does now. Now, I'll give you a hint. It's the preaching and centrality of the word back then, which is alien our world today. You know, we are unique because we have a 45-minute message. you understand that? Most churches, 20 minutes. Evangelical churches, 30 minutes at tops. We have 45 to 50 minutes. That's unique. You know what the Puritans preach for an hour and a half? It's not just about length. It's not just about time. It's about a position. It's about a longing. It's about a wanting to know. It's, a, it's about having, wanting a relationship to Jesus Christ. It's about wanting one's soul to be fed. It's the same issues today that's back then. Satisfaction. Happiness. Well-being. The difference is that back then they said, the church has the answer. Today, the church is irrelevant. The church is irrelevant. <laughs> back then, there was no such thing as secular counseling. Why? The church was the source. 
Today, if you have a need and you talk to people at work and they're going to say, you're going to the church for counseling? Why would you go to there? Why don't you see a professional? Why don't you see somebody who is capable? Why don't you see somebody who's going to be helpful, effectual? Why in the world would you want to go to church? Why would you want to go to a Christian counselor? Psychology. Made up of two Greek words. In study of the soul. Study of the soul. Who should know more about the soul than the people of God? We are the salt of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be the salt. Help us to be a preserving influence on society. Help us to live different lives. Not just for our own benefit, although there certainly is a benefit to it, but for your honor and for your glory and for the preservation of a world. May we see our contribution in this. And not just our contribution individually and collectively, but as those that name the name of Christ. Lord, help us to begin even with the church. And may our church be an influence upon our denomination and our denomination influence upon Christianity in America and Christianity in America being an influence upon Christianity around the world and Christians around the world being an influence on the world in which they live. May we not overestimate what we can do and may we not underestimate it either. Lord, help us each individually to seek to be salt. And each one of us, as individually we seek to be salt, may we be even more effectual collectively, as together we can have an influence on our culture, on our society, on our community, on our workplaces, on our schools, on our organizations. Oh Lord, help us to be salt. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.